Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey friends, have you noticed that no matter how much yoga we do, we may still struggle in our intimate relationships. My husband and I have a great relationship, but we are not relationship coaches. And we know that yoga can and does help, but at a certain point, you need more relational support from a relationship specialist. If you're going through some kind of challenge right now in your relationships, my friend Jason Gaddis at the Relationship School can help. Jason's team will pair you up with a skilled relationship coach And within 48 hours, you'll be getting private one-on-one support on whatever you're going through relationally. And right now, for my listeners only, Jason is offering half off one month of relationship coaching. Head over to relationshipschool.com slash Laura to get the deal and watch your relationships improve. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today I have the amazing Crystal Joukowsky with me. Crystal is... I don't know how to describe. She's a writer. She's an orator. She is an actor. And she's kind of like a life coach, but she doesn't like to use that term. We talked today about how she discovered this new chapter of her own life after being a stay-at-home mom for many years. She has some wonderful monikers like owning your shit and how to tell people to kind of own their shit and know that it's a little off-putting at first to say that, but what you're saying is that you are the only one who can bring about the change you want to see in your life. You have the power to shift your mentality and you get to be the magic pill that flips life on its head and breaks through the personal chains holding you back. So she does that for herself. She's done that for herself and she does it for others with her work, with her words and with her wisdom. She brings so much into this podcast today. I had such a wonderful time getting to know her. Please enjoy our talk today. Welcome, Crystal. So glad to have you on today. Thank you, Laura. So glad to be here. First of all, I love the name Crystal. It reminds me of crystals, which have such magical powers. And I'm sure you do. Uh, We were talking ahead of time about how you, um, you don't really like the term life coach so much as just sharing your own experience as a writer and, and your own life. 
Um, and so I want to dive right into one of your monikers, um, which is owning your shit. And I really loved that. And I've heard that. I'm sure a lot of people have heard it. But what does it mean to you to own your shit? <laughs> well, um, first off on that moniker, I one day it, I just blurted it out. My husband and I were talking and I said, yeah, own your shit. And he said, that's it. That's your that's your tagline. And I said, I can't use a cuss word as a tagline. And he said, oh, fuck, you can. Absolutely. So own your shit. <laughs> Own, own your shit for me is all about just recognizing that we all have our own issues. We all have our own experiences, which feed into the way that we, we react to life and the relationships and experiences around us. And if we recognize what we've gone through and how we are and where we're at, then we stop projecting on others and start taking responsibility for where we're at. And in accepting responsibility, we also give ourselves compassion to be in that space and say, you know what, that actually stems from this experience. And maybe I need to do a little bit of healing there instead of projecting on this person there. And giving ourselves compassion means we then give compassion to other people, which just then snowballs and grows into this beautiful space where we're all owning our shit, we're all recognizing that we're flawed beings and yet we're all living the best life we possibly can and allowing other people to do the same thing. I love that because that's like, it's recognizing the, the reason for behavior, but not, um, not, not saying that behavior is okay, right? To continue. So for instance, yeah. if someone is, uh, reacting to a person trying to give them feedback because they've had some history where they were criticized a lot. And their response is like kind of immediate, um, I'm like an injured animal, I'm going to fight back. Um, there can be compassion, like, wow, I was really, I was criticized and it hurt me a lot. And so when I get feedback, even if it's constructive and even if it's going to help me, my response is like, I'm going to fight you. And that's not the response that I, that's going to be healthy, you know, for myself and for who I'm interacting with. Can you tell us, um, I know you, you work with individuals and with groups, but can you tell us some of the first steps along the way of kind of even recognizing, you know, we don't tend to recognize our habitual patterns of behavior. So what are some tips that you give people to start to do that? One of the biggest tips that I give to absolutely everybody is on a scale of one to 10, if you're angry or upset emotion, whatever emotion you're feeling right then is above a three, then the issue is with you, not with the other person. Mm. On some way, shape or form, you are feeling threatened or experiencing something and you need to dig down and understand what that is. When we're above a three, we're in this reactive phase. And so that's when we say things and do things that we really don't necessarily mean. It's just that we're trying to protect ourselves from whatever experience we had in the past. So the first thing is if you can learn, I'm above a three. I am above a three. So what's really going on for me? Where am I at? And what is being triggered in this moment? If we could do that in every single relationship, whether it's a business relationship or a friendship or those people, our family and our loved ones, I can't tell you how many times in the beginning, my husband and I would be like, you know what? I would say to myself, 
you're above a three. I know this isn't my issue, so I'm just going to take a walk and I'll come back and we can talk about this again later because I didn't need to take his things on, his stuff on, and he really doesn't need to take mine on if I'm above a three. So it, it goes both ways in the number one, you recognize your own issues, but also you don't take on the other person's issues. When you recognize somebody else is above a three, they're trying to push stuff onto you that you don't need to carry. So it's definitely this two-sided coin tip that's beautiful and easy to apply. It takes a little bit of practice and yet it goes such a long way in shifting and changing things. That's beautiful. But um, for people who are practicing it for themselves, that they're in like a relationship, whether it's a romantic relationship or a friendship or even a family member. Um, and the person they're dealing with is not in that state of willingness to recognize. What are some tips to be more protective and guarding for yourself um, when that person, like you, you and your husband obviously have this established, but a lot of people out there are in you know, familial relationships where um, that person is just not even ready to turn the lens inward and investigate their own behavior. You said take a walk, which I think is a great idea. Are there any other tips, like if that isn't even an option, like go out and take a walk, you're in it, in that discussion and the, the heat is on and you can register, this person is above a three, but they're not going to back down. So what what are your suggestions for that? First off, remembering that it's not yours, acknowledging that it's not yours helps. Just acknowledging that this is my partner or this is, you know, the other person in this conversation and they are that, knowing that they're there, you don't have to pile onto the fire. You don't have to add wood to the flame and make things worse. So you may be in that moment and yet you still have the ability to say, I see you're really passionate about this. I see you're really upset about this. Can we just take a moment's break and come back to it? Or the, the acknowledgement is the first step. And from there, you figure out what works for you. Yes, walking goes works for me. And yet sometimes that doesn't work for Jay. And he kind of follows me around because he really wants to needle and find out what's going on. And he wants to. And when I stop and use those words and I say, I see you're really upset. I see you're really passionate about this. Is there something else going on for you? Can we talk about? And it's all about when we have kids, it's redirecting. The behavior, right? They're throwing a temper tantrum. So we try to redirect that, that upset and emotion into a different action. And this is the same thing. I'm not saying that our partners are behaving like kids. What I am saying is that redirection in that moment to break and take a breather from the intense, passionate moment that's going on in the anger or frustration. And hey, I just want to breathe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I like what you said, not adding fuel to the fire. I remember learning from a friend who was a therapist many years ago, this idea of like, if you're not, if you don't engage back, you are the, the there's only so much, you know, if there's nothing to push up against, then it's just going to really, um, that, that anger or whatever that, that you're being, um, accosted with is, is going to dissipate. It just doesn't have any energy to it. And I know like yeah. with my mom, who I love dearly, 
but you know, she has some triggers for her going way back to her childhood and not, not having um, that feeling of being worthy enough. And so if I don't, you know, call her on a right, you know, and she had expected it, I'll be talking to her and she'll just say these little tiny digs. And um, what I have found is I just pause. I don't say anything. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't go anywhere, you know, but if I was like, mm-hmm. why would you say something like, you know, it's like, then it's like, oh, okay, let's get it into combat mode. But mm-hmm. to add, it takes a lot of strength, but it's also very interesting. And so I would encourage people listening to just kind of be curious, how much can you control yourself to not engage and participate when someone is kind of acting like a child? We all act like child children. I mean, that's just, we have inner children's stuff sometimes. And so that's just a small example. And that, that has helped me a lot um, in, in my interactions with her when, whenever she goes into that little like child face and it's just like, not, don't get fuel to the fire. Yeah, exactly. And you're also, you know, the person that you're talking with, most of these, we're not yelling or arguing with somebody that we don't really know. We know them on so many different levels. And so your partner or your mother or your loved one, you know, a little bit about their history and you are going to know their triggers on some level. And you're going to be able to recognize that. So in owning your own shit and where you're at and saying, Hey, I'm above a three in the same aspect you start to recognize it's not that you're going to use it against the other person, but you know that, oh, my mom has this feeling of not good enough. My mom has the same thing that she grew up with. And I know that that can be a trigger for her. So instead of adding to that, I just step back a little bit and it completely changes the whole thing. So recognizing yourself, owning your own helps you also recognize others. And then it gives that extra compassion, right? So you're I understand. I'm just yeah. going to hold space for just a second that you're in that spot. And then I'm just going to step back and say, okay, so now what do we want to do? And where do mm-hmm. we want to go from there? Exactly. I love that. So, I mean, you have such a therapeutic vibe to you. Can you take us a little bit backward in time and tell it, tell everyone how you got to the place where you are now? Oh boy. <laughs> um, so, so uh, when I, all throughout my youth, we moved around a lot. My dad was always, he's a dreamer and always looking for the next thing. And so moving around a lot just naturally gives you this, you learn to adapt and you learn to be very resilient and work through things. And I have always, as long as I can remember, been an intuitive, I could feel other people's emotions and I wanted to be a peacemaker. I wanted to help people. I wanted to ease suffering. And that was just the way that I was. And it really became very evident when my parents got a divorce and I was this little kid just trying to manage and ease my mom's pain and then be a support for here and there and all my siblings and whatnot. And um, through that, I ended up spending time in small town USA. And then I followed the religious line and was married at a very young age and had two kids. And I spent 14 years in that marriage trying to be the perfect wife and mother and church servant and really lost myself in that, not knowing necessarily who I was other than what I was supposed to be by other people's definition. And um, eventually I found theater 
And in theater, I found myself and I recognized that I had worth and value as a human being, not just as this submissive servant of others. And so um, through finding theater and self-worth and myself, I ended up putting that marriage to rest. And that's when a lot of the learning and growth just exploded. And I got personally, intimately connected with my higher self and my spirit guides and started redefining my own rules and my own guidelines for myself. Like I had been in that religious box and that wife box and the mother box and all of these boxes that other people had given me throughout my life. And I had operated very well in that, but now I was a divorced single mother doing theater and what boxes did I want to accept? What definitions did I want to accept? And which ones did I just want to throw in the bonfire and get rid of? And so through that learning and through that growth and through that connection to my spirit guides and my higher self, I, I started having visions of what the future would be and where I would be at and how I would be helping people. And it was so beautiful and so exciting. And I would beat my head against a wall trying to push things faster than they were ready to manifest. And when I would step back and just allow things to happen, that's when I learned the most. That's when I grew the most. And people would come and say, I don't know why, but I feel like I'm supposed to work with you. And I would teach them things that I knew that I had learned through the classes that I had taken and people I had studied with or through my own personal experiences and growth. And accepting, allowing, stepping back and just feeling who I was, giving myself permission to be in my own truth has just helped me grow exponentially even more. And now because I've allowed that and more people keep saying, will you please work with me? Not only am I changing my own life, but then I'm changing all these other lives and it just keeps going. So it's kind of like on some levels, I just feel like the calling chose me more than I chose the calling. Mm, What a beautiful story. First of all, I have to ask, how does a mother of two church-going wife find theater? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I mean, I would never have guessed that's where you were going. (laughs) Right? Me either. Oh my goodness. I I um uh, I worked in a bed bath design firm and I was the office manager and I would walk around and I would just hum and sing to myself and one of my coworkers said, you really need to be in theater. And I said, no, whatever. I could not handle being on stage because I am a bit of an introvert. And then one day I noticed that the theater, the local theater was doing Once Upon a Mattress, which is a spoof on the princess and the pea. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned it to her and she was like, oh, she filled out the application for me which means that I magically get this email that says, thanks for applying. This is your audition date. Have a song ready. And, and I was like, what? You know, <laughs> I was terrified, but I also didn't feel like I could say no. I felt like I should just give this a try. If the universe brought it to me, I should accept it, say yes. And what can happen? And that was the beginning of theater. And it was unbelievably cathartic because I did theater for 
six years. I think I did about 14 shows. And I cannot tell you how many of those shows were directly poignant to the life that I was living at that time and helped me process through things so that I could move from through all of the stages of grief and change and leaving that marriage behind and moving forward to embrace a new life. The shows that I did were so, it was mind boggling. It was such a gift, such a gift. I love theater, holds a dear place in my heart. I can imagine. Well, my husband uh, was a professional actor and my daughter is now majoring in theater um, in Mm. college. So I understand that. And I I think that it sounds like this bed bath um, employee worker was like a little angel who really helped um, or a facilitator. And I think that's what does happen in life. When we're open and ready, there are people who are doing their own magic. And it could just be as simple as recognizing your talent and your heart and, and, you know, facilitating by signing you up. I, I think that was, that's beautiful. Now, um, she was, was a there gift. a moment? <laughs> yeah, she was a gift. Shout out to whoever. <laughs> um, Beth. Woo! Beth woo. Uh, <laughs> was there a moment, because I do know a lot of people who are in relationships or marriages and they you know, are stifled, are, um, and it might not be the person is stifling them. It's just the relationship, the energy. Was there a moment where it became very clear, like, this is not, this is not what I want to be doing the rest of my life with this person? Did you have like an epiphany? Oh, it was huge. It was absolutely huge. Um, I'd been married for five years. We had just moved to Colorado with two very young children. And um, I didn't really know anybody. I was going through a little bit of an emotional breakdown kind of thing. And um, my husband, he was my husband. I chose into that. So my husband um, was less than supportive in that moment. And I remember being curled up in the fetal position, just sobbing by the front door. And Um, he was yelling at me and I heard this voice in my head that said, it's okay. You're not alone. We are with you. And it spoke such peace to my heart and my mind and my soul. And I was like, okay, I can handle this. And it said, basically, it let me know that right now is not the time. And yet this is not forever. There will be a time that you will get out of this and that you will move on. And so whenever things were rough, I would check in and say, um, what's up? And that was, those were my guides. They, they were just letting me know I wasn't alone. And that was the first moment of really starting to tune in and really check in. And, and it was theater that finally said, they were like, it's time, it's time to move on. It's time to, you have found the strength and you have gone through. So here you go. Here's your wings. Let's fly and push out of the nest. So yeah, it was definitely a moment. Hmm. And how was it for you as the child of divorced parents? Um, how is how did you handle that with your own children? You know, we always say that we're we're um, going to do it differently, right? We're going to be a lot more careful and a lot more cautious. And um, sadly, us kids, when I was when my parents first got divorced, we felt a bit pulled side to side. Um, And our parents did the best that they could with what they had. And yet us kids were really struggling in the middle. 
And so I swore that I would be as honest with my kids as possible, that I would support them in any way that I could, and that I would um, refrain from speaking ill about their dad because I recognized that I had contributed to the relationship and the, the success or the failure of it just as much as their dad had. So I pushed my kids to tune into their emotions, to learn where am I at and what do I need to express and how do I do a little bit of self-care? How do I get through this in a positive way? I was always trying to work on that. Now, that doesn't mean that I always succeeded because as humans, we are going to fail here and there. And yet I feel like I did a pretty good job of just giving them that support and that space to be adolescent kids, boys that are struggling between two homes and two lives. And now our family looks different than the religion that we've been raised in. And where do we fit in that? And how do we move forward and work with that? So I was different than my parents and I did give them more of that space and tried to give more, more of that support. And yet in the same aspect, I still did follow that same path of we're getting a divorce. We're not that eternal forever family anymore. And now we have to figure out how to move forward with what we have embracing or at least accepting that mom and dad needed to choose this path instead of the other one that we all thought we would be doing. Mm. Well, it sounds like you did that with a lot of grace and I'm sure your own experience <laughs> can help of many other divorcees since there are so many, we know that to be true. Um, and so thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. Along with theater, and I don't know if you're still doing it, but what are some of the tools that you implement to, to keep you the most balanced and calibrated, not only for your own inner growth, but to be a very solid force for others that you work with? Self-care, self-care, mm -hmm. self-care, self-care. And it looks completely different for every single person. And it is going to look different in the rhythmic season that you personally are in, whether you're, you know, no matter what your gender is, it's all different. Self-care for me is a conscious intentional act towards taking care of your own personal being. And the only way that I can be there for other people is if I make sure that I take care of myself. I am a finite resource. If I drain myself completely, there's nothing left. So some days that might be playing in the pottery studio or doing puzzles. And other days it might be that I want to connect with friends and enjoy just that camaraderie that comes with those connections. It might be that I want to meditate or just do self-care chopping vegetables for dinner because I love to be the sous chef and my husband adds the heat. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's all about taking care of me and being true in that moment to myself. And then I can give to others. I totally agree with that. I echo that completely. Uh, this is still an issue for a lot of women in particular. Um, we can only speak from women since we are that. So what do you, what do you recommend for people uh, who are listening? How to, how to take better self-care? First off, make a list of things you do that you love to do. I think that we fail to recognize that things that we are already doing 
is actually self-care. We just have to add that intention behind it. I had a girlfriend, she religiously goes and gets pedicures and she was talking to me and she says, you know, I just, I get the pedicures and it is self-care, but I don't feel renewed afterwards because I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about all the things I should be doing. And I said, well, that's, have you intentionally set this time aside and said, no, 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 this is for me, which means that it takes it from a, I feel guilty for doing it and I'm making myself feel worse into the, I have intentionally set this aside. It's an intentional conscious act. So it might be that for you, self-care is that five minutes sitting in the car with music and you just get to breathe. Nobody else is around you. It might be that running is your self-care. You know, you have to get out and go do it. And initially it's kind of like a meh, but as soon as you do it, then your mind clears and you get to breathe. It could be that you love woodworking and the sanding, just that simple rhythm of the sanding is a meditation and self-care in and of itself. What do you love to do? What do you already do that brings you joy? If you like to read a book and yet you read that book And four hours later, you feel guilty for reading the book. That wasn't self-care because you didn't put that intention behind it. But if you said, hey, I'm going to take three hours and I'm going to gift this to myself because I need it so I can feel better. You just created self-care with something you already do, something you love to do, and you get to move forward. So I know I sound like a broken record and yet repetition is sometimes the best way to get it across. What do you already do that you really enjoy? And then start recognizing that as self-care. I love that, that the intention behind it, because you're right. So many people will do something that they do enjoy, but then they layer it with some kind of negative feeling, whether it's guilt, Mm -hmm. um, you know, or just or they're not really present in, in doing it. Like your friend at getting a pedicure, like think having her mind be so busy and thinking about all the things she should be doing. And I think it is really important to, yeah, don't make it complicated. If you already have things you enjoy, you, you know, these are the things you can't get from a magazine, like somebody taking a bath every day. I don't like taking baths. Like that would not like, no matter uh-huh. how much intention I put behind it, uh, that's not going to be my thing. And that's uh-uh. really important to individualize. And I, I love what Crystal said about um, like whatever you're already doing that you enjoy, do that, do more of that. Like do what brings you joy. Don't do what you read you're supposed to be doing. You know, it's like, I get a, I, I get a kick out of it when people are like, tell me what you eat in a day or tell me what, you know, tell me your morning routine. And I'm like, my morning routine works for me. And that's just been, um, you know, years of, doing it and, and and it works and I feel energy and I feel quiet and peace, but it might be very different from you. So I'm just not going to give you a cookie cutter response. I can give you ideas. No. And, and the best idea is what you just said is, what do you enjoy? I enjoy sitting in my bed, drinking a cup of coffee. Other people wouldn't enjoy that. Maybe because they don't give themselves the time to sit and enjoy a hot beverage. And I don't have a problem giving myself that time. So I think, like you said, just you don't have to do what everybody else is doing. Do what do, do it feels good for you and don't feel bad about it. Enjoy it. Have that intention. Yes. Yeah, start where you're at. Absolutely. Little steps start where you're at. So speaking of things that people do read about that we should be doing, um, <laughs> I, I know you mentioned meditation and uh, I do think meditation has a value for, for anyone who wants to try it. You don't have to just do it because you read it's great for you or 
It's wonderful for your brain. It's wonderful for your nervous system. But how would you, when you're talking to people about it, what are some steps you recommend taking for somebody who really has always wanted to meditate, but says, oh, I'm too busy to meditate. I can't sit still. Um, What are some tips you give people for meditation? On meditation, I have two things for you. Number one, some people don't like the name of it because it just seems big and difficult. So change the name. Maybe the name, you just want it to call it, I'm just going to have some peace. I'm going to have five minutes of peace, or I'm just going to take a moment. And perhaps that is your new definition. My husband hated the idea of retirement. So we changed it to graduation because it gives him more hope and excitement for the things to come. (laughs) So, so change the name of it, you know, yoga. Some people don't like the name yoga because it just seems big. And well, I don't have the body or whatever for that change it. Maybe it's stretching. I'm just going to go stretch for a little while. So anyway, back to meditation. So I tell people meditation does not have to be the lotus pose sitting there upright and being the the stereotypical vision that we have of someone meditating. So that person sanding wood, it could be that the rhythm of sanding the wood in and of itself is a meditation for that person. Their mind clears and they get lost in that moment. What works for you? What is it that you already do that clears your mind and helps you find a little bit of peace? For me, I love chopping those vegetables for dinner. That becomes a meditation for me because I am focusing on getting those just the right size and I get to let everything else go. Some of us need a walking meditation or active. We cannot just sit still. So Whether you go for a hike and you just enjoy the sounds and the sights, the smells and be in that moment. I I love this idea and I'll just kind of piggyback off of it. And it is this, I I do think people get really caught up with the vision. It's just like with yoga, they picture a bendy body with meditation. They picture that sitting and I've always resisted that. And I said, meditation does not mean you have to sit quietly for five minutes for an hour If that works for you, great. But it could be like what you said, like I'll say, I'm going to have quiet time. And so for me, that's my meditation where I put everything, technology aside, I get in my bed, I'm just with my cat and I just am being, but I Mm -hmm. also do it with chopping vegetables or walking in the woods. It's It's that sense of, because I think people have this idea that meditation is made to cease thoughts. And I always say, your brain will never cease thoughts. Like your brain Mm -hmm. is going, is, Until you die, it's operating all the time, which is amazing. What we want to do is clear the thoughts, make them, you know, make it not so ping pongy, but just that find that sense of peace where there's, you're just in that moment. Yeah. It's meditation is literally about being present right here, right now. So if you prefer to listen to a guided meditation, use the guided meditation. It lets you focus in on that voice. It lets you enjoy that moment and be present. If that looks, so yeah, absolutely. I love it. Meditation does not matter. Whatever looks good for you, whatever works for you, then you go ahead and do it that way. Do it your way, make it your own. So can you tell us a little bit about the offerings that you have? So how have you uh, for lack of a better word, codified all your different talents, your experiences, Uh, your life lessons, both experienced and learned. 
Um, and what are the offerings that you give people so that people can get in touch with you and find out more? So an easy way, we just released an online course called Permission, or sorry, Intro to You. And it's a fantastic course that helps you just tune out all of the noise of the world and tune into your own personal voice, your higher self, your own power. And where are you at and how do you want to be? And it lets you tune into your physical body, your mental body, your emotional and your spiritual. And then it walks you through like goal setting and self-care. It's a very beautiful course that really helps you dig down and find your own, build your own foundation of this is where I'm at. This is who I am. And I'm really happy with that. So that's a really easy one online. We've also got the podcast that you can listen to. It's called Breathe In, Breathe Out with Crystal Joukowsky. And then we also have in-person courses, which we aren't necessarily doing right now just because COVID's so big, but we have one that is all about your seasons. Every one of us has these rhythms in life and their ups and downs. And it's more than just the earth's seasons and it's called sacred pulse. And how do you tune into those and how do you prepare for those? I had one person take the, that course and, and he said, you know, I used to think I was manic depressive, but I've learned that it's just my rhythms in my own life. And once I recognized those rhythms, everything smoothed out and I just felt normal. So there's that one. And then we also teach a couples course, which is a lot about communication, but we also teach couples stretching in that. So you get to connect physically, mentally, emotionally while you're connecting and stretching with each other and learning all of these fabulous communication tools because we're told you need to communicate, but nobody teaches us how. We learn from the people and the examples around us, but we don't necessarily learn what works for us and how do we work with our partner to do that. So we do have courses and we have our newsletter and the podcast, lots of ways for you to come and join and just be reminded that you are an amazing human being exactly as you are. And we just want to embrace you and we want to encourage you to embrace you too, because that's where we should all be. Oh my goodness. I love that. So everybody make sure you check out Crystal. All the information is in the show notes. Uh, your course sounds incredible. I love that. Um, focus on you and let's all focus on you. So thank you for your time today and for your wisdom, your wonderful voice and energy. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. I hope you have a fabulous afternoon. Thank you. And for all of you who are listening, as always, I'm pulling for you. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.